You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the We Are Libertarians 2020 presidential candidate series. I am your host, Hody Johns, and I am joined today by candidate for president, Ben Letter. Is that correct? That's how it's pronounced? That is exactly how it's pronounced. Thank you. I want to say leader, and you probably wanted to say leader too, right? No, I, I, I like letter just fine. Uh, I, I see how people get it mixed up. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, I guess there's some jokes to be had there considering that I'm running for president. But, uh, you know, oh, well, I don't care how you pronounce it. I know who you're talking to. Yeah, all right. <laughs> letter for leader. Um, yeah. Awesome. So question one, every single other question is going to have to do something with politics. So let's just hear about you just non-politically. Who are you? Tell me about your family, your work situation. You're just uh, everything that you would want somebody to know about you if, if we're ignoring political philosophy for just a minute. Okay. Um, well, I, I come from a uh, long line of, uh, of liberty lovers. Um, uh, I, I can trace both sides of uh, my family back to uh, the American Revolution. We, the first members of my, my family ended up here in this country uh, in 1590, which was like over 420 years ago or something. It was a while ago. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've participated in this, uh, this experiment, if you will, that is uh, America uh, since uh, the beginning. Um, and, uh, I guess I feel that, uh, you know, I need to do, you know, my part to carry that forward. Um, you know, like, I guess, uh, you know, my family, my dad, uh, you know, he was, uh, he's still alive. Um, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. He, uh, he, he was an Eagle scout, uh, an army officer, uh, a, uh, an award-winning news reporter, uh, and, uh, was a director for, uh, Bell helicopter, uh, towards the end of his career there and retired, uh, he's retired now, uh, and spends, I guess, his day watching, uh, cable news among other things. And, um, my mom, uh, graduated from UT right here in Austin. Uh, and, uh, she uh, worked for the city of Dallas for a little while, met my dad. Uh, they got married, um, had me and my brother. Uh, and uh, she didn't work there for a while. She was kind of a, a stay-at-home uh, mom there for the, the first part of my childhood. She, she, you know, she'd get some part-time jobs at some doctor's offices or some things like that. But nowadays, she's like a full-time real estate agent uh, and uh, a pretty good one, too. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly impressed by her work ethic. It's just almost not human. Maybe that's where I get it from. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. So let's talk about your, um, I, and I didn't know you had so much lineage, but let's talk about your personal liberty journey. I, I would say with almost any other candidate, you're not born into it, but it almost seems like this is almost in your DNA. So what's your, uh, How'd you come to, to libertarianism and that, that mindset? It, it is. Well, I was raised knowing that the last time that the uh, government needed to be overthrown, that uh, my family was uh, quick to jump on board and, uh, and uh, participate in, in that. Um, 
And uh, that, uh, that was an ugly process. And I, I certainly hope that we don't have to, to revisit uh, such an ugly process as a, a violent uh, revolution. I would personally, I would like to see a, a cultural and, and political renaissance. Uh, and I think that we're in a position to do that. Um, my personal liberty journey, uh, you know, it started very, very young, man. I mean, you could say born into it. I was, I was born this way. Um, I've been bucking the system ever since I first, you know, bumped into it. Um, I, I, my first nightmare as a kid uh, was, you know, I was five years old. And, you know, I had a dream that was very 1984, and I didn't even know what 1984 was. And my parents didn't let me watch rated R movies or anything like that. But I, I had a dream that, you know, uh, we basically lived in a prison. And we had to, you know, there was, there was literally, there was a wall. And, you know, we couldn't leave without permission. And we had to check in with uh, various government employees on a regular basis. This was my first nightmare. I, and I'm always kind of taken back to that. And, you know, as, as weird as that may sound, you know, it's just, um, I look at where we are today. I'm like, Hey, you know, we're not too far off from that. They're talking about building a wall and, you know, government has entered every, every aspect of our lives. Um, and so I've just, I've never been one that could, um, go along to get along. That's not my style. If, uh, I, I have to resist. Awesome. So I've, yeah, that's, that definitely makes you very unique. Uh, in that sense, I can't say any of the other candidates would have that, that Liberty journey story. Uh, when you mentioned the prisons, it's funny that that was your nightmare at age five. five. That was my <laughs> oh. first nightmare. And I'll now, never forget it. and now here it is, like the dream for some people. Now that they're fully grown up, yeah, know, it's, voting for it's it. a reality, um, and and people are calling for it. Um, mm -hmm. And I try to tell people, you know, like you know, I've got a grappling hook at the house. This wall is not going to do what you think it's going to do. Sure, um, it, it it it'd be one. Th it, there might be an argument there if maybe the if the wall would actually do what they say that it's going to do, but doesn't so it's it's kind of ridiculous and a uh, waste of time money and uh, you know anyway i don't want to hammer on the wall before it's built but uh <clears throat> definitely uh you know when it comes time to hammer it down i, I want to be there yeah um so let's let's talk about your priorities as president we're actually going to work backwards first we're going to assume you're president then we're going to get you through the election then we're going to get you through the primaries i'm going to work backwards like that so just assuming that that you've been elected president what is we're going to talk about your top three biggest problems face in america and your fix for each of those problems so just one by one what's problem number one for uh benjamin leaders presidency to address and how would you address it Oh man, it's hard to pick just one. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to necessarily uh, say that this is my number one issue, but we're just, I guess we have to start somewhere. Um, okay. One elephant in the room that, you know, a, a libertarians have, have known about for quite some time, you know, Ron Paul was famous for championing uh, in the fed. So we talk about, you know, ending the fed and things like that. We know that it's a bad deal. 
Um, and we know, we know that we want to get rid of it. I don't hear a lot of people really talking about, you know, what, how to get rid of it. What do we do next? And, you know, something that I'd like to raise awareness to is that the U S mint is still in existence and the U S mint is separate from the federal reserve. We could end the fed and transfer that responsibility over to the U S mint. And we could even expand, um, the scope of what the U.S. Mint does, modernize it with, uh, with some of this new cryptocurrency blockchain stuff, um, and not just mint gold and silver coins, but we could have uh, a, a basket of various different uh, coins, uh, if you will. Uh, a lot of people talk about things like the gold standard, and this is my only, you know, one of my issues with, you know, the gold standard or, you know, I mean, to, to kind of you know, the pony standard, like uh, mm -hmm. Vermin Supreme, you know, this is my issue with, is that goes against everything as an investor that I, I know to be a good idea. And what we're doing when we do that is we're centralizing what we're using to back the currency. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea. I think that we should have diversity there. That way, if let's say the gold market or the pony market uh, tanked, um, the entire currency wouldn't be dragged down necessarily with it. Uh, so I don't think we should just tie to gold or uh, limit ourselves there. I think we should, uh, we should diversify. Um, and I think we definitely should explore what uh, the blockchain and cryptocurrency technology could do for us if, let's say, the U.S. Mint was uh, allowed to coin digital coin um, in absence of the Fed, I think that that would solve the problem of inflation, um, which is the the big hidden tax uh, here today. Uh, I I spoke with some legislators and I told them because this property tax is a huge issue here in Texas and it is nationwide. And you know they're they're sitting there, uh, you know the the Republicans and, and bless their heart, you know they think that they're doing something by putting a cap, let's say at two point five percent increase uh, on on property tax in, increases. And I say to them, I said, you know, you know that sounds that doesn't sound like a lot. But over the course of 30 years, 2.5% compounding interest on a $200,000 house is an $85,000 increase. I say, you know, a lot of people in my district are retirees. Uh, most of them are twice my age. You know, I live out on the lake um, with a bunch of people who are, you know, 65 and older. Uh, they're on fixed income. Uh, they're, they're, you know, and, and you know, they're not getting 2.5% more money every year. Um, they're not, they're not expecting a 40% pay increase 30 years down the road to compensate for that. Maybe you and I ha have the ability to, uh, to go and find a job somewhere making 40% more, but they certainly don't. And I told him, I said, you know, eventually this is an elephant in the room now. And, and eventually, um, there's going to be a squeeze. You can't keep increasing taxes like this uh, without that happening at some point. And that, you know, these issues need to be um, addressed. So 
that is a kind of a form of in inflation right there. Uh, and, and just kind of one, one example, uh, we've seen uh, inflation of currency in our lifetime. Remember when a Coca-Cola, when a soda was uh, less than 50 cents, uh, 25, 25 to 50 cents, uh, 35 cents. Oh. Uh, and now it's like uh, 12 quarts of milk delivered to your door for a nickel. Yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, now, you know, the, the same Coke that might've been 50 cents in the machine before now it's a dollar or a buck 50. And, you know, man, I remember I knew about inflation and I don't ask me how I knew about it, but I remember in kindergarten holding up a Snickers and just telling some of the kids I was in kindergarten with, there was not a class or anything going on. This wasn't a presentation. But one of these days, this Snickers is going to cost a million dollars. And it's not because it's going to be worth more. It's going to be because currency is worth less. Yeah. Um, if if we moved away from the Federal Reserve to a sound monetary system, which, you know, the Libertarian Party uh, has, you know, for the, by and large uh, valued that. Uh, and that's been one of the libertarian values. David Nolan, that's one of his uh, five libertarian essentials. Yeah. And I tend to agree with him. That's, that's a problem that I'd like to address, the inflation as a result of the Federal Reserve. Also, you know, that ties into taxation. And this will kind of tie into, I know you were going to ask some questions about, you know, how to appeal to the economic left. Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe we don't have to go into, you know, complete order there. Like you said, I'll touch on some and you can just kind of guide this how you want. Sure. Um, but so taxation. Um, now the, the economic left, uh, appears to be one of the more pro taxation, uh, demographics, political demographics out there, but here's where the economic left gets screwed over. They have the best of intentions. They want to push programs like, uh, you know, Medicare for all Bernie's, you know, you know, he's very economic left and, and that's a big issue for them. And what ends up happening is the economic left ends up empowering government to tax, 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 tax. They get a hold of all this money, and what do they end up spending it on? They end up spending it on healthcare. No, they end up spending it on war, which is something that typically the economic left doesn't support. So I'm looking at the situation, and I'm not the first guy or the only guy to go to, to use this kind of phrase. I'm going to phrase it like this because it's a, a way that we can all understand GoFundMe government. You know, I think we remember Gary Johnson talking about this uh, and other prominent libertarians have talked about this. The technology exists. Yeah. If you can GoFundMe for a wall and raise $20 million in a couple of weeks um, just for a wall, uh, you know, I got to believe that we can put a system together um, and based upon tax credits. We need to transition away from the system that we have now. Um, I understand that a lot of people, they, uh, they, they don't like to take the risks that, you know, they, there's all, what, what, you know, all the bad things. I'm a bold guy and I like to take risks. Let's just put that on the table now. So this program doesn't scare me because I've calculated this to be a good risk, but I understand people want to transition. So how we could transition is, is we could easily, um, you know, within a very short amount of time, we could, we could upload a website that was essentially GoFundMe government. You could call it whatever you wanted to, um, but that would essentially would be what it would. Money that you spend there, that's a, that's a dollar for dollar tax credit. 
So uh, what's your favorite uh, program, a program that maybe you would contribute to? Uh, defense. Defense. Excellent yes. choice. Um, so if you, let's say you want to contribute to the defense budget. Every dollar that you, you contribute to the defense budget is a dollar less that you owe on taxes. That's a tax, dollar for dollar tax credit. So what this does is this takes, this begins to take money out of the IRS. The IRS, all the administrative costs, you know, it's not a very efficient organization. Maybe it was, you know, a hundred years ago, but things have really efficientized since then. Yeah. And we need to take advantage of that efficiency. Um, let's say somebody else, you know, they want to support uh, Medicare for all. Well, go ahead. You put, you put your money into the Medicare for all program and Hody will put his money into the defense program and you know, they don't have to feel guilty um, or feel like their principles are being violated because they're being forced into paying for a program that they do not support and neither do you. And I think that this is where the economic left and the economic right and the social left and the social right can come together and say, you know what? We all win here. This is a win, 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 win for all of us if we do it this way. I'm not forced into paying for your programs. You're not forced into paying for my programs. If, if my program is just either ahead of its time or obsolete and, and other people don't want to support it, programs naturally die. You know, and here's how we can present this during the transition period, too. We can say, sorry, I unmuted you. You're good now. There's an incoming call. Oh, okay. Let me decline it. Yeah, you're good. Is my audio good? I think so. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry about that. You're um, fine. So, you know, this is, you know, the, we, we can, we can, we can, we can go to the house representatives, you know, during one of these, you know, government shutdowns or appropriations where they're, they're fighting over the money and say, look, you know, uh, we've got data from our voluntary funding, uh, website here that says that nobody's voluntarily funding this. You know what that tells us is that people don't want this program. I think that we can sunset this. You know, I think we could, we can drop this program. We can drop that program because nobody is voluntarily funding it. So why would we force people? This is a program that people don't want. I mean, a politician can come in there and say, oh, this is a great program and all that. Let's find out. Let's see, let's see, you know, the free market. Let's see if people really want your program. The free market can support Medi Medicare, even something like Medicare for all. We don't have to be forced into it. Mm -hmm. There are so many people. I mean, look at how much money Bernie raised in 24 hours um, just for making these kind of promises. I got to believe that if we put a website up and said, hey, guess what? You don't have to spend money, uh, you know, uh, funding Bernie's campaign anymore. Just just put your money in this program. You have it. It's there. Fund it, you know. Um, and if Medicare for all was funded like that, I wouldn't have anything negative to say about it. I wouldn't have any complaints, no, you know, great. and if the defense budget was funded by you, yeah. uh, I, I don't see why, you know, other people would have, you know, much room to complain because it's like, well, um, 
you're not being asked to pay for it. You know, you're, you're paying for these other programs. I'm paying for these programs. Uh, these are approved programs. Um, and we need to modernize. This is the 21st century and we need to bring every aspect of this country, especially government and the education system and all these programs into the, the 21st century. A lot of these people are operating on decades old technology. It's just, it's a waste. It's just burning money. Oh, yeah. and, and we all look at the national debt, which ties into what I'm talking about here. The, the taxation and the inflation is the, is the pistol and mortar that grinds the middle class into non-existence. And that's why we are where we are here today. We can put the brakes on it. We have the technology to do things more efficiently and get a much better result for everyone. Yeah. The, uh, the, and not to, I'm not going to issue any endorsements and, and until it's over and even then, maybe not then just because I'm, I'm going to, you know, hopefully still be in business four years later. No, no, no. Don't, don't get your hands dirty, man. Sure. <laughs> but I did want to say, I mean, that's my number one priority as well is that is the fed. And I have talked about it with you. I've actually, or I haven't talked about it with you. I've talked about it on my program before about competing currencies and how, why would you not want your comp- currency to be competitive and be worth as much as it possibly can? I think that's a, that's an interesting tie-in you have with the economic left because I think they don't understand how the things that they, they think of the Republicans good on economy, but the good economy hurts them. And so I think it's a great tie-in for them to understand that Snickers bar analogy that you made to say, this is how something that you like is actually more affordable with a responsible economic, with a responsible and competitive economic system. I mean, you touched on a lot of the questions and I know, uh, um, we're not running out of time by any means, but you know, but but I think touched on a lot of the questions I have. Um, since we're kind of bouncing around a little bit anyway, I mean, do you just want to talk about like problem number two and, and three that you have, and how how you would maybe maybe address those? Sure, um, you know, and look, there's so many problems in this country right now that I don't like. I said I want to avoid saying this is the number one and this is the number two. These are all problems, and they all deserve attention. One that I was speaking with uh, to somebody about earlier was the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what, what we came up with was this. Pot, poppy, uh, um, what, is it, what is it called? The kratom? Oh, yeah. Rehab, and acetaminophen um and to explain what what all that means is is like first off we need to legalize on a national level because pot is a great you know marijuana cannabis whatever you want to call it is a great alternative uh not not only as an alternative pain reliever and muscle relaxer but an effective tool uh to uh to help wean yourself or get off of, of opiates to take the edge off of um you know, uh, those, those cravings, uh, which can be quite brutal on someone physically, uh, especially in the, in the initial stages of, of getting off of the, the drug, um, or weaning yourself off of it. Same goes for Kratom. Uh, we've seen, uh, legislative efforts to schedule Kratom. Uh, they want to tighten down on that. I think that's a huge, huge mistake. Um, we need to make sure that that's available, uh, for, for addiction. Uh, poppy, okay? 
we need to bring these troops that are guarding poppy fields home, period. That is just ridiculous. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I got to say, I didn't, go, even know, yeah. I didn't even know that was happening. <laughs> that, I, unfortunately, it is happening. And a lot of people don't, a lot of people have it mixed up on what's really going on there. They kind of focus on, you know, the fact that we've seen plenty of evidence that uh, the CIA and other organizations may perhaps even rogue elements within these organizations are responsible for smuggling, you know, these, these products into the country to fund their black operations and probably line the pockets of crooked people that are involved in this. But there's really a lot more of the story. So, uh, you know, these, these drugs that they call, you know, like synthetic uh, opiates. Um, well, yeah. let's take a look at what that is. Um, they don't just like mix a couple of random chemicals that they bought at Walmart together and say, hey, look, we've got a molecular compound that's uh, close to uh, an opiate now. No, they take actual poppy, they put it through a process of organic chemistry and, um, you know, uh, bind it to a binder agent, press it into a pill, uh, and then ship it to the United States. Um, you know, and these are international big pharma companies. Bayer is in on it. Uh, Bayer was named after the guy that synthesized heroin in the late uh, 1900s. Wow. Um, and if you want to know the history of Bayer, why they changed their name, they used to be known as IG Farben, uh, which was the company that uh, it was a Nazi company during the Nazi regime. Um, yes. And they experimented on concentration camp uh, victims. Um, and they changed their name to Bayer uh, after the Second World War to uh, try to distance themselves from the stigma of the, the Nazi regime. Um, you know, these, these, uh, these poppy fields, uh, this poppy, you know, from Afghanistan and other places, it's getting shipped to places like India and other manufacturing facilities where it's put through the process of organic chemistry, made into legal um, drugs and shipped shipped in. So there's that side of it too, that I really don't hear really anybody connecting the dots or putting that together. Um, and they, they think that the troops are just guarding it all for cartel type people. And it's, it's more than just cartel type people. It's the big pharma cartel. Yeah. That's where most of it's going. Um, so, which leaves us with acetaminophen. Um, so, you know, in some type of uh, so-called moment of genius, somebody said, hey, we're going to put this in these uh, so-called legal drugs uh, as uh, some type of measure to prevent people uh, from abusing it. Um, and possibly some other justifications there. But ultimately, this additive that they're putting in there just is it's killing people's livers. Yeah. Um, it, people are still hooked. It does not counter the addictive properties of the substance. It just creates this additional poisoning factor. And we need to remove any, anything that we're lacing inside of, over, uh, um, you know, over the counter or behind the counter, uh, pharmaceuticals, anything that we're putting in there, that doesn't need to be in there, you know, for some kind of measure like that to prevent people to abuse it. We need to take that out. You know, nobody wants laced stuff. Um, 
in, you know, this is just, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had good intentions, but it, it's not working and it's, it's having blowback and it's creating an additional health crisis is uh, considering how destructive it is to the liver. Um, so I think, that, I think most people would be astounded to find out that the stuff they buy from behind the counter is laced. I, I mean, or even over the counter, for that matter. Anything that comes in a professional bottle. Yeah, you know, they, yeah, they, you know, the dare officer would have you believe that you know all you got to do is just walk down the street and they're going to be handing you marijuana bags laced with ecstasy and LSD and all kinds of stuff. And frankly, I've never seen that happen because you know ecstasy and LSD are expensive and nobody's going to be putting that for free in your bag of marijuana. At least I'm sure maybe. You know, it's happened, but uh, that's just not good business. Right. Um, drug dealers are in the business of, of turning a profit and giving away free drugs is not profitable. But lo and behold, who is lacing their drugs? The pharmaceutical companies. That's unreal. That's you know? unreal. So, um, I, I think that that is an amazing identification and, and a very uh, creative fix there. So uh, let's talk about your, your, your third biggest problem, and then we'll, we'll move on to the primary or to the, uh, the election strategy after that. Um, man, you know, there's, there's, two, there's two kind of things that, you know, I, I want to talk about here. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's education, and then there's immigration. And okay. immigration is a huge subject in this country right now. And it's, it's got us considering taking drastic measures that aren't, aren't even going to work as intended. Um, and I'm so sick of, of these type of solutions. It's, it's like the same guys, you know, writing bumper stickers or, you know, are coming up with these solutions or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, okay, the process. The process needs to be simplified, bot bottom line. Um, we need to quit playing games with that, but something that's important to me and I feel needs to be on the table here is the onus of an immigration gets, it seems like it gets put on America's shoulders and America's shoulders alone. You don't hear this outcry, uh, as far as, you know, immigration in, in necessarily the other 194 countries in this world. I would like to put some treaties on the table. Of course, this is all voluntary. You know, um, but I would like to put some treaties on the table for the other 194 countries to look at that says, hey, look, we've got, you know, we've got our, let's just say our bronze package, our silver package and our gold package. Our gold package is our open borders treaty. If you sign our open borders treaty, that means it's two way. It means American citizens can come to your country. They can open a business. They can enjoy all the all the same rights and privileges that one of your citizens uh, enjoy and vice versa. Your citizens can come here, they can get a job, they can start a business, etc. And I think that this would create a symbiotic relationship um, where, you know, perhaps some American businesses might come over to those countries and open up uh, businesses um, and I know a lot of people are like, you know, uh, they took our jobs and all that. Well, you know, let's let's take manufacturing off of off the table here per se, and let's just look at the service industry. Mer America has got arguably the best service industries on the planet right now. Look at how efficient Starbucks, Walmart, 
CVS, uh, you know, and, and so many other mom and pop organizations that would love to expand into Mexico, for instance. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to go to Mexico and enjoy that. Like, uh, for instance, right now, as I understand it, that you and I could never become a, a full citizen of, of Mexico. Um, that uh, there's many regulations on the purchasing of property and how that is done. Like you can't purchase property on the border, on the ocean. It, it, you you got to do it through a fiduciary trust. Uh, and, you know, all of this, this red tape, which equals barriers to entry, which basically means that only publicly, only publicly traded companies or e extremely well-funded private equity firms can compete in this space. And it pretty much says to, you know, all the mom pops out there, uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to jump high enough to get through these hoops to expand your business internationally. Um, and, you know, there, you know, I'm sure that there's, there's companies, you know, in other countries too, that uh, don't exist in America right now, that we would all love to see, you know, come, come to America. Uh, you know, I'll just throw this one out there because the second amendment is near and dear to me. Um, you know, I, as I understand it right now, uh, AK 47s and Russian uh, manufactured weapons are currently uh, banned from importation. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would love to see a, a Kalashnikov uh, factory uh, here in the United States. Um, and I, I would welcome something like that. Sure. Um, and you know, that's, that comes down to trade and migration. Now, like with the Chinese right now, uh, there's negotiations on the table because, uh, people are upset because they, they, they're not respecting, uh, any intellectual property rights. And I know that that's a very taboo subject, uh, with, uh, a lot of libertarians or people who identify as, as libertarians. Um, but if, we could reach some trade agreements where it's like, look, uh, we will honor your trademarks. Uh, we will honor, we will honor your patents, uh, per the terms of this agreement. If you honor ours, uh, we will, uh, we will honor, uh, your citizens, uh, as we honor our own. If you, you know, if it's symbiotic, I have the feeling that if we put this like a bronze package, you know, a silver package and of course the gold kind of the gold package. I've been kind of talking about the gold package yeah. on the table that typically I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure to go with the gold package. Cause it's like, that's a good deal for us. It's a good deal for both of parties. Right. You know, and it's actually um, something you could accomplish at the executive level as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let me combine the next two questions. We're going to back up. Oh, no, you wanted to talk about uh, education a little bit. I didn't want to stomp on that. I did. Um, a lot of money is getting spent on education. A lot of money is getting wasted under the guise of education, building football stadiums and, and the like. Uh, we, we build these uh, big monolithic schools, and school hasn't really changed that much in the last hundred years. And you know, here's a little walk down memory lane of how we got to where we are. So with the implementation of the Federal Reserve inflation and the 16th Amendment, you know, ratified or not, the IRS 
income tax. Um, It wasn't too much longer before. Oh, also, you know, you know, okay. So money got tight on families and, you know, we went from kind of the single working, you know, tip, typically speaking where it would be like the dad uh, who was the the breadwinner uh, to where that didn't work anymore. And in order to stay afloat, uh, both parents had to enter the workforce. So now we're entering a situation where there was nobody to watch the kids. And it's like they, they Hungarian dialected us into, okay, problem, reaction. Oh, well, who's watching the kids? Solution, federal education. Yeah. And essentially what we've got is this national nationwide daycare program. Um, and that's what's preventing education from entering into the 21st century. We have for instance, and I'll, I'll try to be quick about this. Yeah. We're, at, we're in an era where literally every, everybody's kid, every kid can receive a world-class education. Uh, you know, Harvard professors, for instance, can uh, give a, a class just like we're communicating right now to like literally mil- millions of people, uh, you know, um, for a fraction of the price because you don't have to pay for that school, the building, the logistics and all that. You can do it from the comfort of your own home uh, or anywhere where you had an internet connection. And there, there is pushback. The government is, uh, is not being very receptive to uh, the modernization of education. We all. saw that Berkeley, for instance, had like over 20,000, you may know about this, had over 20,000 uh, of their, um, you know, uh, professors, uh, you know, classroom experiences, uh, what have you, um, presentations on, uh, on the internet available for free. And, you know, somebody in government found some kind of like backhole loophole. They didn't like this. And the way that they came at it was like through the Americans with Disabilities Act, I think it was it's like, oh, you know, well, since you don't have all that in Braille, you, you, you're discriminating it's you know so they took it down um which was a really good thing that they took down now fortunately some guy had the foresight uh to download all of that content he and he re-uploaded it mirrored the whole site on a site called lbry it's short for library um i think it's dot com or maybe dot net or dot org there but it's lbry and they've got 20,000 Berkeley, you know, um, various different, you know, things that, you know, that happened at, at, at Berkeley, classroom, you know, recordings of the classroom and things of that nature uh, available up there. Um, but it's being suppressed. Now, people are tied into the situation because who's going to watch the kids, you know? And I think that that's actually the big problem that we really need to focus on. It's not that we don't have the technology to completely transform and modernize education yeah. in, in ways that ne- people would have never imagined before. It's, okay, who's going to watch the kids or how, how are we going to handle this, this situation? Now, I think if we take care of some of the other stuff that we talked about, you know, and quit robbing families... Um, well, that'll, that's one part of the solution, but you know, also we're in a day and age where parents are monitoring their children in ways that they could never have done before. They can literally track their children, you know, uh, GPS, they know where they are, communication, 
the parent's ability to supervise their, their children has been modernized. We need to recognize this yeah. and come up with alternative solutions to forcing kids to show up at, you know, seven or eight AM and stay locked in a building, uh, you know, for seven, eight hours, uh, five days a week. Um, it's just so unproductive in comparison to how efficiently we could be running education today. I, and I look forward to getting to talk about this subject more and more as time goes on, but Hey, let's, let's continue on yeah. with them. No, we, we will have further interviews like this. And just to be clear, I don't have a time limit for anything that you want to say. I just want to respect your time. I just know it's a lot of questions and I want you to take as much time as, as, as you feel like taking, I just don't want it. To, <laughs> uh, I just don't want you to. I don't want it to all of a sudden be three hours later and be like, "Well, you can expect that every single time we need to talk." You know, three-hour <laughs> dialogue. Um, I think what you address is is really good. I really like. I don't think enough people know that they always measure it in terms of the average hours of the full-time worker. And they're like, "Well, it's only gone from you know thirty-eight hours in nineteen seventy-eight to forty-two, you know, hours." nowadays but then you look at household hours worked and it's gone from you know 42 hours to 60 70 hours i mean we're just we're it, it's completely decimated the parents ability to to help in the education process and i i like the fact that you went about it from i think a lot of times we want to gut them financially but most of it's finan financed at the state and local levels and at the executive level, you wouldn't necessarily be able to, I think there's a hundred trillion dollars in there, you know, or a hundred, sorry, hundred billion dollars in there available to, uh, to play around with a little bit, but, but it's mostly scholarships. And, but what you're doing is you're addressing it as a, as changing the standards and modernizing it. And that is at the national level. And that is something that a president and his cabinet would be able to be able to deal with. So I, 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 yeah, I like I that conversation. I would basically tell the Department of Education, you know, it, let's just say if, if elected, you guys got, say, 90 days to deliver a plan to transform the entire education system into the 21st century, going into the 22nd century, or we're ending this government department and we're allowing the states the freedom to figure it out on their own. Because all these unfunded mandates, um, and you know, and I remember, uh, I think Gary Johnson did a good uh, job of explaining once in a debate how, when he was governor, yeah. um, that they would put all these expectations, and you know, and you know, uh, that they, they would end up costing him more to get their money, and it's just a huge mess. Whereas, you know, look, and 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 this is this is something you know that people need to understand. We could end, completely abolish, uh, dissolve the, the department, the federal department of education, and the state of Texas, for instance, is still going to have public education because it's a part of our state constitution. Yeah. And nothing, nothing that happens on the federal level changes that. No. But what it would do is it would free up the state of Texas instead of having to cow town to federal regulations um, and whatever you know moron or you know hey maybe they're a reasonably intelligent person but you know they don't understand texas uh you know trying to dictate how we do things down here yeah I we think, can figure it out 
Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely true. I think only one percent of the education, the national budget, is actually spent on employee pay, and two percent is departmental purchases. It's very low, um, and even then, that's mostly their own employee pay and their own department. It's not even at the state level like you're talking about. So let's move on. Let's talk about. Um, let's take a step back from economy. Let's just talk about social issues real quick. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and combine the question, but you know that the let. Even if you get 100% of the libertarians showing up to the polls and voting for you, you're going to pull in 15% at best if every single one shows up and every single one votes for you. So we're going to need to borrow, if we're talking about in terms of an election, you're going to need to borrow to win from the left and the right a little bit. So just on social issues, you know that the left is worried about social justice. They're worried about the wage gap. They're worried about the relationship between minorities and police officers, um, privilege. And then on the right, you've got problems like immigration. I know that they uh, were thinking about, oh, well, I'm sorry, we've already like taken down crosses because you can see them from highways for their churches. They're worried about their families and family values. How would you pull from the left and the right in a way that, that would make them vote for you instead of the candidate that they have representing them? Well, it's pretty simple. If people haven't figured out by now, I will say it. It's in no uncertain terms. You're not going to get what you want from the left and the right because the approach that they take is this federal overreaching solution that is a, you know, in, in, is a one size uh, fits no one essentially uh, type of solution. Um, and what we need to do, in my view, is we need to take it down to the local level. And this is why my campaign is so focused on promoting local candidates nationwide, is we need to take it down to the local level. If you live in a, let's say, a, a rural county in East Texas, uh, like I do, uh, and a lot of the people in my community, uh, you know, if if you got a nativity scene, you can keep your nativity scene. Um, if if you've got a if you've got a a civil war statue, you can keep your civil war statue. If you have traditions, you know that are important to your community, you can keep those. You should not feel threatened by the federal government encroaching upon your way of life, your traditions, your values. You know, and that goes both ways too. Um, the uh, you know on the left, and I don't feel like the left is alone and concerned with you know police brutality and and, and things of that nature. Um, you know what we've done there is we've we've grown the government at the local level. There's about a million there's about a million police, local, state, and federal uh, in the United States. Mm -hmm. About a million total. Half of them are local. More than half um, are, are city cops um, and county sheriffs. Mm -hmm. um, and when you get pulled over by the police, um, it's almost always a local city police force. And when people get, you know, when we see these no knock warrants, uh, we see people getting shot on the side of the road. Uh, uh, we see people getting choked to death over selling cigarettes. These were all local police departments yeah. by running libertarians and liberty minded people in general in these local city races. We can start to rein this in. 
Um, we just don't need all of this type of law enforcement. Not saying that our communities don't need security and to have some type of mechanism, uh, you know, to secure themselves. Um, but you know something, uh, recently I've kind of got involved in the volunteer fire department a little bit because I'm just really fascinated by the way that this works. And uh, it's got me asking myself, you know, could we, could we not do some, something like this with law enforcement as well? Um, I, I believe that the potential exists. Um, and I think that we would get a, a better result um, because we're, we're, we've even mislabeled it. Calling them law enforcement officers is, is not what we should be calling them. I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, community security. Um, they should be uh, cons cons more concerned with securing the community instead of uh, creating a bust and generating revenue. Uh, and dragging people through the court system mm -hmm. and then staining their, their, their reputation for the rest of their lives with a criminal history that never goes away. I mean, why does the criminal history system not mirror uh, the credit history system? It's progressed a lot past the common defense so many, uh, constitution, right? You default on a credit card. Yeah, there should be automatic expungements, automatic expungements. Things should automatically drop off your criminal record, just like things automatically drop off your uh, credit uh, history um, after certain amounts of time. Um, it is a violation, in my belief, of the spirit of the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, to permanently, digitally scar somebody's reputation for the rest of their life for something they did, uh, it, perhaps in their early 20s. Um, this needs to stop. Yeah. Um, I can go on, but I wanted to check in with you, make sure I was still uh, you know, on point here. Um, no. If you I, had any questions. No, it, yeah, it's, it sounds great so far. I mean, I, I just think I, I agree. I think it's, it's progressed so much past common defense when you're, when you're punishing people for the rest of their lives. It, it has nothing to do with defense. I know that we on the Weird Libertarians Network, I, we have a uh, podcast all about the privatized police force. And it, it's one of our three hour episodes, but it's really good. And uh, there's some misunderstandings about it. A lot of people think, oh, they're just going to ticket more people. And in, in essence, they actually stopped doing tickets. And most of the time, what they, they actually cut their times, their response times in half in responding to actual violent crime um, yeah. and, and had higher conviction rates. I mean, and this is within the United States. I mean, it's contracted out because we can't just say we're privatizing it because of the way the legal system works. But when we contracted it out, we said, okay, well, you know, here, here's the money we're going to be getting, you know, from our taxpayers. We need to make this work. We're not going to raise any revenue from tickets or from towing cars or from civil asset forfeiture. Um, they, they ended up doing things that were a lot better. So I just, I, I think what you're talking about is, is kind of right on track when, when you're exploring the, the voluntary or the private sector police force along, you know, based on your experiences with the uh, volunteer firefighter. And we need to, and just to go back to something you'll hear me talk about a lot, we need to diversify. We need to think like smart investors yeah. and not put all our eggs in one basket. And what we've done is we've put all our eggs 
in, you know, this one kind of version of law enforcement basket and we have virtually nothing to compare it to. Yeah. Um, and we need to get some other things and other programs uh, up and running, whether it's privatized or volunteer uh, combination uh, of, of the two, possibly some other solutions so that we can start drawing some comparisons here and start looking at some real data instead of just looking at the one option that we're being presented because that is not working out very well. People are very um, upset. They're living in fear. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is just not the direction that we should be going as a country. And I think that everybody knows that deep down, no matter what side of the blue line they're on. I think that would satisfy, I think that would definitely satisfy like a lot of the issues that the left and the right have socially and would make them consider campaign like yours at all, as opposed to the ones, because I just don't, I don't hear the left and the right talking about that enough and that competition for less victims instead of it being a single size, like you said, one size fits no one. I love that uh, competition of what, what fits nobody very well. So let's move on to the economy again, same question, left, right. Um, you know that the left is going to be interested in things like they're worried about healthcare for everybody. They're worried about their social security. Um, they hate seeing big, big, big corporations get a tax break. And meanwhile, they're nitpicking all these food stamps. And then likewise on the right, we've got issues with the government just expanding, expanding, expanding. And we just don't see an end in sight for it. So why would someone on the right who's pro likely presented with Trump, you know, to, to vote for, why would they consider you? And why would someone on the left, you know, with all the social economic programs that they're interested in, why would they consider you instead of the Democrats or the Republicans? Well, I'll tell you one reason why they should consider me. Um, before I did this interview with you, uh, I didn't spend any time, uh, you know, uh, looking up data on how to pander to the left or the right. Uh, I answered the questions honestly, off the cuff, um, you know, uh, and that's a level of uh, genuineness that just doesn't exist in politics, a level of honesty that doesn't exist. Uh, I'm not here to pander. I'm here to solve problems and not necessarily uh, present myself as the ultimate problem solver, but be a conduit and a facilitator for all of the problem solvers in the country and the world to come together and begin to solve these problems in an open, honest, and transparent way and not hide good solutions just because this, this solution over here, which is a really a non-solution, is really just some money-making scheme that I've come up with or me and my buddies have come up with that we're presenting to you as a solution. Like, let's say Trump's wall. Imagine a guy that's been in the construction business his whole life wanting to do a big construction project. Uh, you know, just like the member of the Bin Laden family, they were in the construction business too, you know, and they benefited from all of those state-sponsored construction programs. Uh, you know, in New York, you hear Larry Sharp talk about it all the time, you know, all the money that they're spending and it's, the mafia is in on it. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's become a, 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 mod, a, a mafia cottage industry. Um, and what problems have been solved in the last 10, 20 years? Have we solved the major problem in this country? Can you think of one? 
I mean, I believe their success in New York, according to uh, Mr. Cuomo, is that they keep raising the property taxes by less every year. So it's still going up, but, but less. But yeah. their appraisal values are skyrocketing. So you're showing one number. This is what they normally do. Well, we're going to show you the number on this. Don't flip the page. Yeah. You know, don't look at the next page. Yeah. Redact page two. <laughs> um, and that's just not how I operate. This is a, a what you see is what you get. Good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you the bad news. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't like that because they don't want to hear bad news. But I'm... Too bad. I'm going to tell you the bad news anyway, because you need to hear it. Um, and this is something that none of the candidates on the left or the right that I know about do. Yeah. I don't know why they don't do it. You know, and maybe maybe I'm going to find out the hard way that, you know, uh, this is being honest and transparent and, 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 and open about looking for solutions. Maybe that's just something that the American people don't want. Maybe they, maybe they want this other garbage. Um, and then I'll have to rethink, like, why, why is that? Um, I think people have just grown accustomed. Um, I think we were all raised in either, you know, families that, you know, historically voted uh, conservative or voted, voted liberal, or we were from different parts of the country. And, you know, similar to how we root for our home uh, sports teams and all that, we're running, we're rooting for our home kind of political, we're a blue state or red state. And man, I want to be a problem solving state, you know, um, uh, in, in the absence of uh, color or uh, left, right paradigm, I just want uh, the best solutions. Um, and I, and I, and I want, I want them for the best possible prices. Yeah, that's competitive and, and I think very honest in saying this isn't my solution. This is, I guess, the market solution or, or the yeah, this is- variety of solutions. Like you said, I mean, uh, I love the, the idea of a Kickstarter government to say this is where I'd like to see. Even I, I love defense, right? I told you that I, I feel that that's a, a great function if you're going to have a government. That's probably the number one that I want to see. But I also want to keep that competitive as well. I don't want to build... F-16s that go in a graveyard and never get flown, you know, and, and I think keeping it competitive in that aspect is really great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me just say this, it, and it should be so detailed that let's say, I'm just going to say, assume here, not saying that uh, this is what you support, but let's say you're particularly fond, fond of the United States Marine Corps. Okay. Well, then you can donate specifically to the United States Marine Corps. Yeah. But let's say you're not so big on the Space Force. You're not obligated to put your money into that. You put your money into the Marine Corps. In Space Force, they're going to have to get their money from somebody else. Um, it should be that specific. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, even in, on Kickstarter, you get breweries, right? That's like the number one thing on Kickstarter. But I think even those breweries are kept competitive with each other because they're trying to, they want your money. Not all of them are going to get that funding. Not all of them are going to exist. So they have to really be the best idea. Not only do I mm-hmm. like the Marine Corps, but I want that Marine Corps to be driven to the highest standard of excellence possible. And if there's multiple plans proposed, I presume the most money is going to go to that highest proposed plan or to the, to the highest quality plan. Um, so let's take a step back and now let's, let's try to get you through the primaries. Uh, you know your competition. Uh, I'm going to ask, I know it's, four, I'm going to ask you just a four in one question. You've got really four parts of the Libertarian Party that, that I surmise, but you've got the Libertarian left, 
the socialists, the mutualists, um, the Mike Shipley's, the Sam Coppingers. And then on the right, you've got the kind of the, the capitalists. You've got the Mises Institute, uh, Michael Heiss, Josh Smith. You've got the anarchists as well. Uh, the um, I don't want to use anybody who's also already running for president, but several anarchists, of course, within the party that, that want to see the government totally reduced. And, and then, the radical caucus. Yeah, the radical caucus. And then you've got the minarchists. Um, the, I'll just call them the, the, I don't know, moderates, the mainstreams. Those are the ones that usually show up conve- at convention. The pragmatics. The pragmatics, yeah. I know because you just spend so much time dealing with Libertarian Party functions. I know exactly, you know everything that I'm talking about. I'm just framing it for the audience. Yeah, yeah. What's, no. your, what's, your, uh, what's your best appeal um, to the left, right, radicals, and pragmatics? Why should they select you instead of maybe a candidate that's decided to go whole hog on their ideals because I'm not going whole hog on my ideals. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bridge the gap here. Um, and just like I believe that we did throughout, you know, the journey that has been this conversation so far, we have illustrated how a good idea stands on its own. Um, a good idea is not born out of ideology uh, necessarily, or it's not obligated to be so. A good idea, a good solution stands on its own. And when we have a good solution that truly does stand on its own, it appeals to all sides. Um, and when it's implemented in a, certain, in, in, in a certain way, it appeals to all sides. And if we're, actually, if we're actually putting good solutions on the table that drew upon um, the collective wisdom of all sides, not promoting collectivism right. here, no, I but the, the collective wisdom, when we draw upon the collective wisdom that is our party, uh, we can come up with solutions. Yeah. And I'm not adverse to, to working with anybody that's truly working towards uh, functional working uh, solutions that do bring about a more desirable uh, world for us to live in. Um, you know, you know, some people there, um, they hold grudges, uh, they, uh, are ideological snobs and just reject, uh, the opinions of others. And, you know, uh, I will argue, for instance, I will debate against authoritarian socialism. Um, uh, but you, you mentioned Mike Shipley earlier and, you know, where I got, where I give him some credit is, you know, he might be one of your more left-leaning libertarians, but when it comes to authoritarian socialist entryism, he draws a line. Yeah. Uh, and I respect that. And, you know, I can work with, uh, I can work with a guy like that, you know, uh, because that's the line that I think that we're all really concerned about is, you know, some people uh, frame it as the non-aggression principle. Uh, I like personally to, uh, you know, keep it, uh, to the libertarian pledge. Um, because we, we own that. There's no confusion about what the libertarian pledge is. Depending on who you ask, you get a different version of the non-aggression principle, but the libertarian pledge is in black and white. It's written in stone. Um, and I think that that is one of the things that really does unite us all. Um, and as long as the problem is not some 
authoritarian solution that we're going to force down everybody's throats. Um, and it's a good solution that stands on its own. There's no reason. I mean, it's naturally the various different sides of the party are going to get behind that. Yeah. That it should work itself out naturally. It should not be forced. Great. Uh, Compared to the other, just the other libertarian candidates that there are right now, simply, why are you the best one? Well, I think that, you know, all of the candidates are, are, are competent guys, uh, men and women. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're principled. Um, they, uh, they, have, uh, they have the spirit of liberty in their hearts. Um, However, uh, I feel perhaps I might be the best candidate because I'm, I'm no less in those areas and I have a lot more time and availability than I believe everybody else does. You know, I calculated it up last night. I was uh, talking to a friend here in Texas and, uh, you know, each, each one of uh, the other candidates seems to work full-time jobs. Um, and if you do the math on this, up until just convention, not even November of the election, that gives me an additional 2,000 hours or more uh, to work with local campaigns across the country. Um, I do not believe, in, as a matter of fact, I think it's a big myth that uh, like Gary Johnson and Bill Weld uh, equal votes on the local level. I think it works the other way. Because nobody, nobody in my local level, nobody in Henderson County, Texas, East Texas, has a clue who Bill Weld or Gary Johnson is. Those names have no meaning in our community. They literally don't. Um, but, you know, what would really help a presidential campaign if, is if we started focusing on getting libertarians elected to local city and county offices to where they could develop a real relationship with the community there and break through all the stigmas that the mainstream media and our political opponents have projected onto us over the last uh, 50, almost 50 years now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, give people the opportunity to be like, wait a minute, that's what libertarian leadership is like. Oh, I like that. I think I will vote for the L for president. I think I will vote libertarian for president because I have a libertarian on city council and that's my favorite person on city council. I've got a libertarian on the count as a county commissioner and that's my favorite guy, you know, working, you know, with the county commissioners. Uh, I've got a libertarian sheriff, you know, when, when people have libertarian city council people, libertarian county commissioner, libertarian sheriffs, then we're going to start to see libertarian uh, representatives. We're going to start to see, uh, and then, you know, from there it grows to the potential of, uh, you know, libertarian governors, uh, libertarian uh, presidents. We, we build up to that. We don't, we don't look for this libertarian messiah to come along, run as a president, just wow, the American people. And then all of a sudden, because the American people like that one guy so much, now they're going to start voting for local libertarians. No, it works the other way around. Um, because in your community, that's where you get to develop the relationship with the people in that community. I can't, and, and neither can 
you know, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, the best that they can do is fly around in an airplane with a Wi-Fi connection, you know, essentially that, you know, and you know what, the, the playing field's level. I can do that too. Um, but it really comes down to the members of this party, especially our local candidates. Um, they are what makes the difference here. All I intend to do is help them run the best campaigns possible. And this is not trickle down politics. This is, this is, this is built, uh, you know, um, it's very bottom one, up the way you've described yeah, it, establish yeah, it the is, base and then, and then work yes. up from there. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is built upon a foundation. Um, and that's how I envision this going. Um, when people offer to contribute money to my campaign, I, tell them about somebody else's local campaign. You know, right now, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really pushing Billy Hunt because he's in a special election. He's got really good odds of winning this, not guaranteed, but better odds than you normally see. Um, and it's, I believe, it's coming up here really soon. I mean, like in a few weeks. Um, so I've been telling people, hey, if you really want to help my campaign out, let's get Billy Hunt elected. You know, right. um, you know, let's, let's get Matt Pina, uh, elected for mayor of San Antonio. Let's get, let's get Teresa rushing elected to the city council in Arlington, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I mean, there's so many more campaigns. Uh, my friend, uh, Ernest Claiborne, let's get him elected to Montgomery city council in Alabama. Um, because when people start to see, you know, things happen on their local level, then and only then will they believe in a libertarian governor or a libertarian president. Um, it's never going to work the other way. I just don't see it. I suppose it's possible, but I'll tell you the best that will happen. That person will be a one, maybe two-term president, but the rest of the libertarian party is essentially going to be right where it was before. Yeah. We need to build a base. Yeah. We need to develop. That, that's very true. You know, it reminds me of a story. Uh, Booker T. Washington was studying the, uh, the Bible and how the Jews managed to be let go by their Babylonian captors. And it was eventually Nebuchadnezzar, and he wasn't the one who eventually let him go, but this, just, this, prog this process happened, and eventually Nebuchadnezzar looked around and said, so my best advisor is Jewish, and he's supposed to be inferior, but he's not. He's my best advisor. Our best soldiers in the field are Jewish, you know, instead of being lazy, they became like the best soldiers that they had access to. Our best gardeners, which they valued, they were Jewish. So suddenly the, what the Jews did, and this was systematic, this was actually pushed, a, a plan put, put forward, I guess you could say by God, but by Ezekiel, who said, let's be, instead of just being the laziest, worst, whatever, until they let us go, because that'll never happen, why don't we be the best we can? And then if we're better than they are, they'll find out that we're their equals. And that's what ended up happening there. And it's one of those things that inspired Booker T. Washington to say, I know I'm black and I'm not supposed to go to these colleges, but they can't deny me if I have these, these accreditations. And I feel like it's something that the Libertarian Party could do to say, if we are already the best sheriff that you know, the best council person that you know, it, it just helps to establish a lot of trust in, in that. And then people look around that ordinarily think of you as inferior, and let's face it, as Libertarians, that happens sometimes, but they say, if this guy is our, is the best person we've ever had at the position, then suddenly you start to gain more and more trust until you, you find that equality. 
maybe I'm stretching it by making that comparison, but that's just what I think of, I guess, when I, when I think I of agree plan. with you. I think it's a ridiculous notion to expect people. To oh, sorry. I got you unmuted. Again. Hold on. You're fine. <laughs> you need to hear the, uh, oh. <laughs> you're fine. We're almost done too, but, uh, but yeah, you're good. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yep. Yeah, there was an incoming call there. Sorry. No, I'll you're back to that. You're fine. Don't worry about it. So uh, let let's see here. Oh, let me let me <clears throat> get back to my questions here. Oh. So, what's your plan? I you talk about having that time. So let's get into that. Uh, one of the the things that I find that most of the libertarians get tripped up in is they love the philosophy, but the plan falls apart. When I've worked on a campaign, and I've worked on them, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a proud, but I work for George W. Bush, but to, to help get, get him elected, I find that the president spends 90% of his time raising money, maybe 8% of his time, uh, meeting with important people and like 2% of the time sleeping maybe. And it's, it's one of those that I find that many are worried. I know, I think that's why the pragmatics tend to win the day a lot of the time is because they're afraid that the person we're putting up has no idea what that process looks like. You seem to be on the path, but like, would you like to go into detail about that plan? Yes. Um, you're right. Uh, a lot of politicians, present included, spend a lot of time talking to people on the phone, trying to figure out how to get money out of their pockets and into their campaign fund so that they can go uh, spend it on, you know, consult hiring their friend as a consultant and, you know, various other schemes. Uh, let, let's face it, you know, it's no secret uh, that the campaign finance laws are uh, a little shady and that it's being exploited. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's two ways, you know, um, there's, um, there's, there's, uh, financial equity and then there's sweat equity. And I think that the way that this is going to be, I don't think that you could give me a million dollars for my campaign, let's just say. Uh, and I don't think that that million dollars per se could buy the level of sweat equity that I can put into this. Um, that should not be undervalued. Um, and not just the sweat, my own sweat equity, but the sweat equity of all the campaigns on the local level across the country that I'm talking about here. That's where I see the results coming from. I don't want them to be a part of the presidential campaign. I want the presidential campaign to be a part of their campaign. Um, that's why, uh, like I, I, I do interviews like this with, with local candidates. Uh, you know, there was, uh, a, a local candidate, uh, we, we call him Porky. His name's, uh, uh, Francisco, uh, Martinelli, uh, out of Rhode Island. He got, uh, 30, 30 something percent, uh, you know, pretty, pretty close to winning wow. there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and it was pretty much just him and Tom Markey and I think Francisco's brother, who may live out of state. And that was like essentially the campaign team, uh, you know, according to them that, you know, just the couple of videos that I did with them really, really helped raise some attention, you know, uh, to this local candidate. Um, and, and that was beneficial. Uh, we haven't seen uh, presidential candidates like Gary Johnson and Bill Weld 
who are the only ones who've been around during the time period of where this kind of technology kind of exists um, do that. Now this technology is here. We're seeing more presidential candidates start to work with people. um, And that is a a trend that I'm trying to start. And one of the ways that I work is, uh, you know, raise the bar. Um, So if, if I'm, if I'm doing it, that means that, all the other candidates in the race are going to either have to say, I'm going to jump that high or they choose, they choose not to and suffer the consequences. Um, and by continuously raising the bar against the other presidential campaigns, I leverage them to benefit my ultimate goal here, which is supporting these local campaigns across the country and the more of those people that we get elected in 2019 and 2020 and beyond, that is my measurement of victory. Um, and that's one, one of the many ways that, you know, I intend to make it happen is by making it obvious what I'm doing. Um, I'm confident that the other candidates will also emulate what I'm doing uh, and possibly even figure out ways to do it better, which only helps further the process of getting those local victories, Um, which like I keep saying, we need to develop that base before we're ever really going to uh, achieve things like presidential victories and stuff like that. So there's alternative ways to lead. There's indirect ways to lead. You do not necessarily have to run a direct leadership campaign. Um, if you're clever, uh, you know, it's a, there's an old Tesla quote, uh, something to the effect of it's, it's not that they steal my ideas that bothers me. It's that they don't have any of their own. Um, and it's, you know, fortunately, that's not completely the case in this party. You know, um, many of the candidates do have ideas of their own. Um, and it seems like some of them even share the, the same spirit as I do of please, please steal these ideas. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, Larry Sharp uh, famously says, please steal my policies, you know, all the time. Please, please, please steal my ideas. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's a great leadership quality that he exhibits. And that's, that's how we're going to get this done on the top of the ticket level is by continuing to kind of raise the bar together, which, you know, inspires or motivates the other candidates to do the same. And when all of the candidates in the race are putting a special emphasis on local races and what can they do for them, you know, not what can the party do for us, but what can we do for the party? And this is what we can do for the party, Um, that we're going to see a shift in the way that the Libertarian Party operates simply by me being here and making this an aspect of my campaign. Uh, Another core aspect of my campaign that I don't think that we touched on too much is um, the felons in this country. Now we're seeing data. There's 30, there's like 30 million felons in this country. Yeah. Let's do a little quick math here. 60 something million people voted for Donald Trump and about the same for Hillary Clinton. 60 million. Okay. So 30 million, that's half the people necessary right there to win a presidential election. This group of people 
has been screwed over by the left and the right for decades. And I think that this is a group of people that I especially want to focus on to bring them in here. Cause I feel like that there's no better home for the convicted felons in this country than the libertarian party. Um, and I want to see more felons running for federal offices because felons, they can't run for local offices or state offices typically, yeah. mm -hmm. but they can run for U S Congress, U S Senate, and of course, U.S. President, U.S. Vice President, because the U.S. Constitution defines the criteria to run for those offices. Um, and I want to, I want to see, I want to see this 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 group of 30 million people, and really, it's more than that, because we're seeing data that one out of every other person is either a felon or lives in a felon household or, yeah. you know, is closely related to somebody who's a felon. So this is half the country. We've seen the data on half the country isn't even voting for the presidential race. Who do you think they are? I mean, it, felons are probably a huge chunk of them. Uh, I, I would imagine, I just think a lot of people uninspired is, mm -hmm. is what I think. Dated. Like late, late. It's it's easy to brush them off as being lazy, but if you're genuinely un, uninspiring, it feels like I should like why show up to the poll at all? Why? Yeah, you got to get you have. Now, I mean, that's now that's one thing that does make me a unique candidate. I you know have a have a felony for uh, marijuana uh, that I uh, that I got uh, about ten years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, you know uh, if the laws don't change, uh, that uh, I will carry that stigma. Uh, on paper for the rest of my life. Um, and so I can really relate uh, to the, to this group of 30 million people because I am one of them. And this is a group of people that I really want to focus on because, you know, we can fight over diehard Democrat voters and diehard Republican voters, right. but there is another half of the country that has become jaded with the system. They have lost faith in the system. And I certainly can't blame anybody. This last year was the first year that I ever voted because, you know, I had become jaded with the system, you know? Um, but the libertarian party has presented a pathway and I feel that I need to, uh, make my best effort to make this pathway work because the alternative you know, is not pretty. And I certainly wouldn't want to take the, the country down the road of another revolution. Uh, like I said, I would rather see a, a renaissance. And I think that's what we really need right now is, yeah. is a renaissance. And part of that renaissance is bringing um, all of these groups of people that have been disenfranchised by the, the system for one reason or another into the fold, uh, especially into the Libertarian Party, where they can have a voice uh, and that we can take our voices, um, you know, to the Capitol buildings uh, across this country, state and federal, and, and make a real difference. The numbers do exist. It's just about letting people who have lost faith in the system know that, you know what, we've got an option on the table. Let's do something. You know, join, join yeah. us. Join us. No, I think it's it's more than just a like you said. It's more than a small minority. It's it it's we have very few people showing up to vote for president anyway, 
I think the total population of the United States is over 300 million. So when we talk about 30 million, that's like 10% of it. And then not many, I mean, not many more than that even show up to vote after that. On top of that, it's inspiring. Like when you have somebody that's actually going to bat for you, as opposed to the same back and forth, it gets you to show up to the polls. Uh, we have at least three podcasts dedicated to just talking about felons and getting their voting rights restored. I mean, it's, it's something. Please send me the links. Please send me links to those. (laughs) I will. I will. Uh, Sarah Brady Wagner is a contributor and a host on We're Libertarians. And this is, that's, I'm not sure if there's something she's more passionate about, but it's up there. Um, and I'll send you those links. Um, very last question. Where can people find you if they're interested in your campaign? Uh, benletter.com uh, is, is my website. Of course, it's always under development and improvement. Uh, you know, and uh, I mean, it, it exists and it's looking pretty good, but I'm going to be putting a lot more work into it uh, into the coming months. Um, and uh, also, I'm really easy to find on, on Facebook. Uh, Benjamin Letter, if anybody wanted to send me a friend request, uh, you know, my campaign page is uh, Ben Letter. Uh, I have a uh, Facebook group, uh, Ben Letter for President. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm also, uh, you know, of course, I have a Twitter account, too. I don't, uh, unlike Donald Trump, I don't spend a lot of time uh, tweeting. I don't, I don't understand why that's so appealing to some people. Uh, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do a little bit more tweeting. Uh, uh but you know, I, I think that I've I've really been able to have an effect um, on Facebook in kind of my little subtle covert way um, of dealing with people one on one. You know, I, I really specialize in influencing the influencers um, and in collaborating and working with them. How we can uh, you know project uh, you know liberty. Uh, bigger and brighter on every wall in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, if anybody uh, is running for local office and, and would like uh, my support, uh, please, please reach out. Uh, and, you know, if, if you were interested in uh, participating in the campaign, um, know that uh, that is one of the things that, you know, I would definitely be asking anybody that did volunteer for my campaign is to understand that, this campaign is about supporting the local races across the country. So, you know, I, I, we intend to be a, um, the, look, the air force, if you will, for the boots on the ground across this country. Um, and when they need air support, uh, we will deliver it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, uh, for coming on out. You shouldn't knock your own website too bad, by the way, I actually did extend this invitation to all candidates running for president, not just libertarians. So, uh, I, I have the invitations out there to the Democrats as well, as well as a couple of the Republicans trying to primary Trump. And not all of the Democrats have their websites set up yet. Some of them are still like in the introductory exploratory committee, even though they've already declared. And so their website's not even running. So uh, you shouldn't feel too bad. Like if you have something up and running, that's actually doing better. No, my, my website, my website is, is, is decent, but I mean, I have a, a vision of a masterpiece here and yeah. so it's like, <laughs> Hey, hold on. You know, it's like, it's going to get better. You know, right. it's like, only going to get better. Like Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel. Like you feel like it looks great. You can be done now. And he's like, no, no, just you wait. No, no, no. Just yeah. you wait. Awesome. Exactly. So yeah, it's uh, benletter.com. And again, that's L-E-D-E-R on the last name, everybody. 
L-E-D-E-R, benletter.com if you're interested in the campaign. Uh, ben, again, thank you so much for, for taking the time out to do this. I know it was a big chunk of your day. You're actually busy and, and doing other libertarian things in the middle of Austin. So I, I definitely, and I don't think anybody else can ever accuse you of being lazy about the job. And but, I don't know, did we even mention where I'm at right now? Yeah, Austin, Texas. You said you were at the Capitol. No, no, no. But you didn't even say no, no. Right now, right now, I'm at the JW Marriott Hotel where the 2020 convention is being held. That's right. You know, um, so I, I am literally here where it's all going to go down, where it's going to get decided. Uh, I'm going to try to, uh, battery permitting, I think I'm good, uh, <laughs> get maybe a little bit of uh, footage of the hotel while I'm here. Uh, or some pictures, uh, just for everybody's benefit. I, I do want to say that this is a very impressive uh, facility, and I know that we're going to have a great time here. So everybody, get your tickets to the uh, the national, the 2020 national convention now. Uh, start buying them now. Um, this is going to be, I think it's going to be a record year for us. I think I think that this is going to be a spectacular convention coming up. And I'm really looking forward to spending uh, a few nights in this hotel with uh, all my uh, brothers and sisters in Liberty and decide, uh, you know, who our nominee is going to be uh, among many, many other things that will get decided over that uh, very, very important and powerful weekend. Awesome. Man, it sounds like it's going to be a great time. The, uh, the last one, I felt like we had a good spirit coming out of it. And I think it's going to just get better classically when people vote, start voting libertarian or start even voting third party. They don't go back to the other two major parties. So I'm hoping you're right on that big step forward. And, uh, and that keeps going. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've already met with some U S senators today and, and you're just state senators, today. state senators today, but you're, yeah. you're all over the place. Well, uh, thank you for doing the important work, uh, and, and everything that you do, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our Patreon. It's, uh, obviously a tremendous commitment from us to bring you important people like Ben, and we would like to continue to do so, but we can only do so with your support. So please check us out. We're libertarians on patreon and we'd appreciate whatever support you can provide ben thank you again and best of luck in running my friend thank you and i want to say to the audience too yeah please support this podcast and that is another thing that you know if you've noticed all the presidential debates that have been going on um i've, I've been organizing those uh behind the scenes because uh, i have the time to to do so but i i've specifically been uh hooking up with, you know, liberty, independent libertarian podcasts and things like that and to bypass the mainstream media because we need to become the media yep. and by supporting podcasts like we are libertarians and, and others, um, that is how we're really going to create that shift by, you know, uplifting all of these podcasts and various different media outlets and publications that are independent from the mainstream, that's how we're really going to leverage uh, things and get the word out there. We have an upcoming debate on the 26th presidential debate. It's going to be hosted by Dan Fishman uh, on his podcast, Liberty on the Air. Uh, that'll be at 9 p.m. on the 26th. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you should be able to find that. There's a link on Facebook. Um, and certainly once it's aired, it's going to get shared everywhere and everybody will have the, the opportunity to check that out. 
Great. Well, uh, I appreciate you making my pitch for me. That certainly makes it a lot more credible. <laughs> Thanks again, Ben. It's, you have a good day. It's very important. See you, man. Awesome. Bye.